Well, hello, I'm Neil Taylor, and this is the third episode of the Brand and Business Podcast from David Carroll & Co. We're talking to a few specially selected high flyers about how they've used their brand to change their business and the opportunities and obstacles they faced along the way. Today, we're joined by David Fries, Chief Executive of the FIS, the organisation that represents the fit-out industry in construction. We'll be talking about how a bit of brand thinking helped him make a success of the merger of two very different organisations, and how he got there from a nuclear submarine via stand-up comedy. Just so that everyone doesn't get baffled, David Carroll, you're going to have to be DC today. So, David guest david tell us about the fis and how it came into being okay well the fis is the trade body for the fit out sector in construction so if you put a building up you put the shell up the structure the roof the facade you put the services into it and then you fit it out the ceilings the partitions the floors doors all of those kind of things are what our members do and they manufacture them they install them and they distribute them the FIS actually came together from two bodies. One was called the AIS, which was the Association of Interior Specialists, and the FPDC, which was the Federation of Plasterers and Drywall Contractors. Ooh, you had to think about that. I did have to think about it. So it was a merger of two organisations with different cultures. Now we represent this body of people, and we have a very simple philosophy around sorting out our own problems. So if there's an issue within the sector, then we very much like to try and find the solution ourselves rather than wait for someone to do it to us and then go, well, no, I don't like that because you have a devil of a job changing it then. We'll try and get ahead of problems, solve them before they become a big issue to our clients, in effect. If you do that, you serve both parties. So you got the job of bringing these two organisations together. How was that? Was that a daunting prospect? On paper, it's really easy. You've got two organisations that do similar things in the construction sector. You just put them together, you have a single administrative body and Bob's your uncle, you carry on and everything is fine. But actually, culturally, they were quite different. The dry lining, plastering side had a, I think they wouldn't mind me saying this, a sort of an aggressive, much more aggressive view of the world and probably quite right because it's a tough, tough world. They didn't take any prisoners. And in the fit outside, it was more about we need to be nice to people and massage and be more political about things to get them together. So you can imagine when you put two teams together into a single board, there wasn't conflict, but there was a disagreement about how we should proceed. One was far more direct. You tell people to do things. And one was, well, we need to kind of finesse them into getting there. And we were trying to find a pathway through the middle. One of the big problems was what are we going to be called? Um, it always is. <laughs> it always is. And that's where we called upon David because we thought, you know, basically, we need a new name to sort us out and move ourselves forward. In the merger talks, it became one of those intractable things we struggled to get around. We couldn't find a name for ourselves. One was a federation, one was an association. I was pretty convinced we should lose both. Otherwise, you sound like you're siding. So we wanted mm. to lose both. There's an additional issue in trade bodies or trade associations, federations, that they have a, well, not an outmoded view, but they're viewed as outmoded, shall we say, they're past their sell-by date, which is not true. 
And so we wanted to project something that was new and modern. But in the merger talks, we got to the point where we couldn't agree what it was going to be. Is it the fit-out sector? Is it the finishes sector? So we ended up just banging them both together. And AISFPDC, which rolls off the tongue. And, and was uh, anyone actually using that? Was we were using saying? that. We had a joint and we had two different colours, if you remember. Blue was the, the AIS colour. Red was the FPDC colour. We banged them together, slapped down the middle with a guillotine. There you go. Bang, you're together. Off you go. But it got us over the line in terms of merger because there were no argument. Well, you know, there's a bit for you, a bit for us. It's obvious what has happened. In some ways, there's, there's an argument saying, well, that actually works because nobody said, well, who are you? It was obvious who we were because the names were both there. But longer term, that's a non-starter. We were still culturally two different organisations rammed together. And we knew that wasn't tenable for the long term. And it didn't address this associations, federations being an outdated model. And that wasn't the image that we wanted to project in a an industry that's going from analogue to digital, constructing from model, digital models, attracting young, new people, professional people, moving the whole skills issue up the agenda. And you've still got this image of when the industry used to be have a master builder with a bowler hat on. And that's when we went out to David, who then told us, actually, you need a bit more than a name and a badge, which was pretty much what we were looking for at the beginning, I think. And why did you think, DC, that they needed more than a name and a badge? Because we have experience in working with mergers and acquisitions, and we know that 50% of them can fail. And a lot of that is down to lack of a shared vision. You know, as David has said, two organisations bolted together, but you needed to create a shared vision that could take the organisation forward. When we spoke to them about what they needed, yes, they obviously they needed a new name, new identity to go with it. But more importantly, it was that shared vision, that sense of common identity, which would then propel the organisation forward. And did you know that you needed more than that, David? Presumably you had other people pitching to you. Well, the thing about representing 500 companies, we have marketing experts within our membership who helped. But it's a whole lot different saying you need that and actually doing it and visualising it and making it happen and taking people with you. Because there's quite a lot of prejudice against marketing, I think, in industry as how yeah, it's not really seen, certainly not seen as a science, not really seen as a objective thing, but very subjective. And, you know, we spend a lot of money on it. We don't really know what works and we don't know where the money's really gone. And when we need to cut things back, that's where we're going to look. So when other people were talking to you about this brief, you sort of suggested that David, DC, was talking about this as something bigger. How did that express itself? And was that comfortable? We actually went to three agencies who came back with three presentations. I've got to say there was one there who came up with an excellent name and a logo. And they'd really prepared it well. And it was really attractive because it was an instant solution. And we could have probably run with it on the following Monday because they thought through all that stuff straight away. DC's got a sceptical look. And <laughs> yeah. Did you know about this? Yeah, I didn't know afterwards. Yeah, we knew yeah. we were pitching. So yeah, we... yeah. And I think David came and they challenged us in a different way. And had we not had a couple of marketing people in the room, I don't think we'd have got it over the line. They mm. would have gone for the, this is really attractive. I like that logo. It looks really good. Let's go for that. But actually, we were talking about doing something different. That way we managed to get everybody else on board to say, actually, no, it's far more complex than a name. 
and a logo. So after much, much discussion, we got it over the line and we engaged with David. And then we started a sort of a grown-up conversation about what the organisation wants to be. We talk in the fit-out industry about planning a fit-out, and it doesn't start with you counting the number of people, the number of sockets, you know. It's got to be linked to your strategic objectives, your strategic plan. If you do that, you have far more chance of doing a successful fit-out than if you start with, I want X number of desks, X number of electrical points, X number of this, X number of that. You're ahead of yourself. And actually, I think the first meeting I had with David was that we started right back at, so what are you trying to achieve? And it felt like we were going backwards a bit because I knew where we wanted to be. (laughs) Why doesn't everybody else? Well, it's all part of that branding and changing the way you are perceived and you think about yourself. And therefore, if you think about yourself differently, other people will think of you differently. And where did you want to be? I think it was a different type of trade body and I use trade body rather than association and federation because many people in the public say and the government in particular would say they would say that wouldn't they and we wanted to be genuinely our members customers friend if that makes sense so we're trying to look at what are their problems because we solve their problems we're going to solve our members problems too and make life easier for them to thrive in which is the ultimate ambition. We're trying to create a business environment where the best companies, i.e. the companies who do things properly, are financially sound, are technically proficient, have an invest in a skilled workforce, they should be thriving. And that's what we're trying to encourage. But they can only do that if you're solving your customers' problems. So we wanted to be in a that organisation where our members can come to us with issues and we can solve them and we're doing it together and therefore it tied in with that vision should we say and then a strategy around three key points which was around being technically sound so if there is a technical standard in our area we either write it or we participate in it and then if you've got a technical standard you need the competence and skills to deliver to that technical standard so stuff around training and then it's a lonely business running a business it can be really stressful and so you build a community you say actually you're not alone here it's not just you has these issues lots of other people so we build it around those three prongs and then and this vision of being ultra useful i guess to all stakeholders so dc i'm assuming that before you pitched for this and before you won this you weren't an expert in the fit out industry so how do you get your head around a brief like this which is going to be pretty unfamiliar David and I had a number of conversations, actually, before we were formally invited to pitch. So we met in a number of coffee shops (laughs) to ask those sorts of questions. And it was, we're brand specialists, so we're not sector specialists. We can apply what we do to most areas. But we have, you know, over the years, we have done stuff in the construction world. And this was slightly different. It was very much going back to the idea of what the vision is. In those early conversations, you know, David was very keen on Yes, we are talking to our member companies, but we want to talk to those members within the companies as well. So it became not just a company focus, but the individual focus as well. So that all started to build up a picture for us that it clearly it's beyond just a name and a logo. We needed to go deeper. So I guess we're sort of talking about the difference between a badge and a brand, are we? Yes. In a way, there are similarities. I mean, they're both about trust. The badge is an endorsement, so the members need to feel pride in this badge that they're a member of this organisation. So that has to then 
help the wider brand, the corporate brand, if you like, with stakeholders, with government and end clients. And so they're connected. Their roles are slightly different. But in this particular case, what we had to do was make sure that the one badge logo could work for both, you know, be something that the members would have on the bottom of their website, on their vans, on their letterheads, for example, to say, we are a member of this, we're a proud member of this. But also it needed to help David and his team at the executive level to reach out to the wide audiences. It had a very, very wide requirement. Yeah, well, of course it's right, because he's the expert and you don't listen to experts at your peril, is what I've learned. But actually, a badge is really important. A logo is incredibly important, but it shouldn't be the be-all and end-all. It's just a part of the process. It's so easy just to say, there's the badge, that's it, and not do the other stuff around it. Essentially, that stuff is really about the thinking. If you don't do the thinking that comes with it, then you'll end up with just a different name doing same old, same old. So there's that level of the brief, but clearly there's the politics of it as well. There's these two organisations coming together. How much was that in the front of your mind? It's always at the front of our mind, but I think with this particular instance, it was the merger of these two organisations where the cultures were still very different. It was quite clear when we were interviewing people, which people were on which side, if we didn't have the background of them. Our job is to navigate that, to work through those politics and to get people to buy into this common vision. I mean, that's very much part of our role. Is there a danger that that inevitably leads to compromise? Of course you compromise. You have to. It doesn't have to be a capitulation. You have to have a win-win. So a lot of it was about actually it doesn't matter which way we do this, we're all going to win. We win if we move together. It probably took longer than I anticipated, but then I should have known because everything takes longer than you expect and generally costs more than you expect and doesn't quite turn <laughs> out the way you expected it to. But actually, by taking the time to bring people with us, I think we got there. And we did get some flack. We didn't have association or federation in our name. So a lot of the criticism was, how the heck are people going to know who you are? what you do it's not on the tin what we were trying to do with the name was move forward to be a modern organization so the idea of being a federation or an association felt like we were it was holding them back as an organization also when the word institute was there was a strong kind of voice within the group for we should be the institute of interior fit out or, or whatever it is but actually, you know, when we researched it, you need to be a government kind of <laughs> endorsement to say we are an institute. You can't just go around and call yourselves an institute of whatever. For some people in the group, there was the idea that institute equals authority. But you can do authority in different ways. You can do it through your tone of voice. You can do it through your communications, through the way that you look and you feel. So we help navigate with the board and the core sort of brand team through those different options to build the consensus that actually we didn't need any of those and to have the confidence to go with FIS, you know, the finishes and interiors sector, so representing the whole sector, which was something different and new, which seemed to be part of the brief from when we first met. So did you have to fight for that? Yeah, we did. People didn't understand it because it didn't say what it does on the tin. OK, if we don't use association or federation and we knew why we didn't want to use either of those because of the associations with the past, so what could we use? And we went all the way around the bazaars and as the Institute was there for quite a while. I think we always thought we would get down to FIS, simple, and quite often people forget what does FIS stand for and, and Federation of International Skiing or whatever came up <laughs> a few times. You know, People Googled it. And, but actually, once it settled down, it didn't take very long. 
let's face it, if you change from AISFPDC to FIS, and so there was a bit of a running joke for some time that I could introduce us as the FIS, formerly known as the AISFPDC. You wonder why we changed our name. It became easier, and a three-letter acronym was easy to do. Sector allowed us to have that discussion about we want to be different, and people got that. And particularly, actually, our customer's customer. Our members' customer really got that straight away. Yeah, we understand that. We understand where that's coming from. And now there's no real discussion about it. There might be somewhere, but I don't think there is. I think it's kind of moved on. We've grown up. But I guess that means you have to work harder to build other stuff into it. I mean, no one is sitting there thinking about the fact that WPP stands for Wire and Paper Products but only because it's gone on to be so successful and stand for something else. So how did you build all the rest of it around the name? Oh, well, actually, once David departed, that's when the real heavy lifting starts, we say. (laughs) (laughs) Because branding won't change anything until you actually do the thing that it promises to deliver. And that's the thing we then focused on. And we came back to David quite a few times to do some of the heavy lifting on, well, how do we do that? You know, what do we do here? What do we do there? It's no good having branding one side and then doing something completely different. You have to follow it through. So how many years, we were trying to work out how many years ago it was we did it. So I kind of yep. look back at my files as well. So it was 2015. 2015. Yeah, this so year, summer, yeah. for the first time in the spring, we had an event where for the first time... It genuinely felt like we had a organisation that was all together and culturally the same. So it takes time. And what had changed? I think the people who had been on the fringes, so it's so not completely brought into the, why did we do this? If you're outside of this, you've been a member of something for so long and somebody said, well, we're going to change it to this. And you go, your immediate instinct is, well, you know, I don't agree with that. That's entirely wrong. But actually, when they started to see that it brought benefits, so they felt something tangible, different and better. When you get to that, then you start to say, actually, this is OK. But you you won't associate it with the branding. It will just be things are better. He'll never get the credit for no, it. No, of course not. Well, no, hang on, I'm giving him some now. Because <laughs> <laughs> we could have just gone for the name and the badge. and it, The same thing might have happened, but I don't think it would. I really don't think it would because it made us, uh, every big decision reflect is this along the branding guidelines are we being consistent and we set up a training and skills team invested a lot of our reserves in this because of again it's an issue that we recognize is a problem so we've put our money where our mouth is and we've used the same branding different color which is exactly what david described to us how we could use it it's a starting point it's a great starting point but if that's all you do you'll get nowhere it doesn't matter how great a job David does if you don't follow through on the thing that you said you're going to do the vision the delivery of that vision you know you'll get nowhere and did you know that at the beginning actually I didn't give it a huge amount of thought until I got the call the other day uh, because it had just become part of the way we do stuff and reflecting back at no point did we stop ourselves and go well that was a big success that really won because there is no light bulb moment although I described one earlier the first time that we had a complete one organization and I didn't put that down to branding but actually that was part of the whole thing so I've had a retrospective light bulb moment (laughs) excellent (laughs) is that how it works is that possible yeah absolutely (laughs) DC it sounds like you could have gone 
quite conservative with this because you've got this slightly tricky internal negotiation going on. You've got people wanting gravitas and authority. Yet if people go and look up the FIS, it's not very conservative looking. No, absolutely not. And I think that comes back to that if, if your objective is to be different within the sector, within the industry, there's a real opportunity to be bold. And again, when we presented the design routes, when we got to that stage, there were the classic small steps, the medium steps and the bold step. Reactions to the first two routes were kind of a bit lukewarm. And the third one, everyone in the room was like, yeah, that's the one. Which is presumably exactly what you'd planned, was it? Yes, it was, yeah. But you know, I think we actually presented four different routes based on the brand positioning. The one that we ended up going with was the boldest route. And I thought maybe they would come back from that a little bit and go for a little bit safer option. But they didn't because you see the opportunity there. Once it's presented, you can't cross a chasm in two small steps. You know, If one is presented, take the big leap. Branding is about being different. So it's helping you stand out in the marketplace, attracting new members, working with other trade bodies, talking to government, talking to whoever you need to and clients. It just gives you that extra confidence. So, David, did you know you were taking a big leap? Yes, I did. I thought we were being bold. And at the end of the day, they'd have forgotten David. It, who did this for you? It would have been me, without a doubt. And it was quite interesting because anywhere we talked about rebranding, people get an envelope out and start sketching out things as, you know, if it were a Conservative Party, there'd be a tree, you know. And, <laughs> and it's that kind of thing. With a little short logo and a name, that will do it. Which is good in a way. I mean, it shows people care about it. Oh, right? people care passionately. That's part of the risk, isn't it? If people didn't care, they wouldn't engage. A complete aside to this, but I had long conversations with people who say, well, people who argue with you and, and always contradict you or challenge you why do you bother with them well because they care they're customers or members that care and they care passionately and therefore they've got something to say and if you you ignore them at your peril because they don't tend to go away because they're investors our members are our shareholders but i knew that this was a bold thing because trade associations are trade associations they have chains of office with presidents from years back all around the neck you see this in lots of things and you tamper with that at your peril. So you've got to be absolutely crystal clear of what you are trying to do when you make that big change. And you only get to do it once. You've got to do it once, go for it and commit. And if you don't, then, you know, you're lost. And did you wobble? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Goodness, yes, we had a lot of wobbles. Particularly in the first few, you have people saying, well, I don't even know what the name means. It's sector. I'm not in a sector. And quite a bit of that. It did help visually. It looked really good, which helps because for most people, it just washes over, so to speak. I'm pretty sure that most people still don't know what the letters stand for. And we use them less and less. And we just have FIS trade body for the fit out sector. It's kind of easier to deal with. But yeah, we had doubts, but you, goodness, we'd spent the money, we'd made the commitment, we'd gone for it. It was no good tinkering, finessing with it. We had to stick with what we'd done. DC, I've heard you say before that, you know, if you have to refresh your brand two years down the line, it's because you didn't do it well enough in the first place. So it must make your heart sing when you hear clients talking about committing. Absolutely. If you have to rebrand every few years, then you absolutely haven't got it right. You haven't got the fundamentals and the foundations right. And hearing that a client is committed to it is absolutely what we set out at the beginning to do. The obsessive reinforcement of a brand is mainly down to its success. We're there for a very short amount of time. 
the very beginning. It's, it's like a springboard for growth in a way. It enables the clients to go on and do bigger and better things. And that's why we invest a lot of time making sure that it is tested fit for purpose, but it is also exciting and bold and is different and would engage with people. So when your clients get a new marketing director, do you get the fear? Are they going to start tinkering before it's had a chance to get established? Sometimes yes, but mainly no. I've often get called in when there is a new marketing director to explain the background to it. And once they've understood it, they stick with it. <laughs> they, you know, they may enhance it and change it and put their own twist on it. But the fundamentals of it absolutely have you know, remain the same. I effectively forgot it. Forgot about we had rebranded. That's just the way it is. We've got Jane, who's our ops director, who rigorously enforces the brand guidelines. And that's it. So it's not a topic of conversation anymore. I guess the strap line has been a tinker, but not really. Not that anybody would notice. It's just not a topic of conversation. And when you set about all of this, did you have any idea how you would measure if it had worked or not? I think we did. I think it was something highfalutin, like we'd be recognised as the voice of the industry and that we'd get greater recognition. And I think we've achieved that. I go to places now and say who we're from and people have heard of us. I don't have to explain to a large degree. People have heard of what we are or what we are doing and that helps because we do two things like infographics, which are all the same standard presentation template. People recognise it as one of ours. Interestingly, when other people have stolen the same template, people know where it's come from, which has happened quite a few times. Yeah, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, flattery isn't it? Absolutely. Then we did some great work around training needs analysis, sort of post-Brexit. We're just generally in an industry that's got a real skill shortage. We've seen that taken, just lock, stock and barrel, the whole thing taken, whole template. And then people said, that's yours. We know it's yours. So, Does that make you happy, do you It does. It <laughs> makes me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with him on it, of course. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> and I have to ask, David, just because I teased it at the top of the episode. So, nuclear submarine? I left school, went into the Navy. So I was fourth generation in the Navy. And nuclear submarines was the kind of, it was the growing industry when I joined it. It was the thing to be in if you wanted rapid promotion. And then I got married and I had a son and he hid when I came home from sea. He literally hid. Yeah, I'd been away for six, eight, ten weeks, didn't know who the hell I was and was scared of me. And I thought, this is not the world for me. I came out and then went into uh, building services, which is mechanical, electrical contracting my nuclear engineers all plumbing anyway isn't it really just a big kettle on the back of a, a submarine pipe strangling so i did that and then uh, came out of that and went into a trade body not a natural progression but the the issues on the m e side are right virtually identical to <laughs> fit out you don't get paid you've got to meet a standard you've got all those things are the same for those listeners who've always wanted to know the overlap in the Venn diagram between nuclear submarines and trade bodies, done. Plumbing. Um, <laughs> and stand-up comedy? Well, one of the requirements of, of running a trade body is that you have to be on your feet quite a lot. And I thought I'd reached a peak where I was getting with that. I mean, obviously the Navy was a great place to learn how to do that, you know, stirring speeches going into action at three in the morning. Not many of them, I've got to say. Try staying awake, guys, was probably the most. <laughs> so I was okay, I thought, on my feet. But actually, I wasn't... I wanted to take it to the next level. I did a, a course on uh, stand-up comedy. 
and then did the circuit for a couple of years, you know, the open mic stuff, and learned what it truly is to be terrified and to watch the tumbleweed going down the middle of the audience and to completely fail, but it teaches you an awful lot about standing up and talking to people. Was that more scary than the submarine? Submarines were 99% boredom, 1% pure adrenaline, and the scary moments were truly scary. Stand-up comedy is all scary. And I swear to God, every time, 10 minutes before, half an hour before you're going, why am I subjecting myself to this? Why am I going to stand up there and do this? Uh, and then the first joke lands and it's great. If the first joke doesn't land, you're going even more, why am I doing this to myself? You know, you learn a lot about yourself at the same time. So we're going to play the now traditional game on this podcast of brand Mr and Mrs almost. I'll ask you both the same question and we'll see how similar your answers are. This week, not up for grabs, is a top-of-the-range tumble dryer. So, David, what was the best thing about the project? The best thing about the project? Probably actually meeting David, because I think he's a really nice yeah, guy. Blimey. <laughs> if you give that answer in the other direction, I'm leaving. For me, it was when David and I first met and we got on and I think... In business, you can buy services from anybody, but actually if you need to work on a project together for six months or longer, you need to know that you're going to get on. And we did get on. What that enables you to do is to understand the problem deeper because your client, in this case David, it was, was opening up and he was telling us stuff that could only be beneficial to the end result. It was a good working partnership with David and the rest of the board, actually. It's not quite as crass as it sounds in that you do business with friends, inevitably. And if I did another one, I would come to David straight away he understood what we were trying to do it wasn't telling can you do that for us I got an awful lot back more than I put in what did you get wrong took too long should have done it quicker than we did but having seen the results we probably dithered too long trying to get everybody on board do you know sometimes you won't get everybody on board you just have to go with what you've got and move on as quickly as possible because then you stop the conversation are they all on board now uh, yeah, I think so. I, I'm sure there are some people somewhere who think it's you know, a nonsensical idea to be called a sector, not a body or a, a trade association or federation, but I don't think there are very many. So DC, between you, what did you think you got wrong? Anything could have been better on the project? I, I, I'm the reason I'm struggling is because we analysed most of the, all of the details. So we, we spent a lot of time talking about the brand positioning at the same time as we were talking about the name. The reason I'm struggling to see if what we got wrong is because we did sort of stress test everything. But now we've got to the end of it and we're now three years on. It's great to hear that David's sort of really happy with it and it's, and it's working for them. It felt right for FIS. It felt right for them. And that's the point what I want to get to with all of our clients is that it has to be right for them. It's not really about us at all. It's about the clients. And so that's why I don't think we necessarily got anything wrong. But I suppose thinking about it, if there was one thing, it would be... We didn't get everybody on board, but then that's not always possible. Did anything surprise you? Yes, I think the fact that they did go as a collective, as the board, as the marketing team, sort of went for the boldest option. So it was a surprise, but in a very happy way. David? Yeah, how complicated it was. As much as I was talking the talk, I still thought it's probably a badger and a name would probably do it. But actually, the more I thought about it and the more that... David talked about it and things like tone of voice and those kind of elements it's more difficult than you think it is and uh, I guess I didn't fully appreciate that at the beginning how you sell that to people so was there a moment when the penny dropped 
I think I should, probably in the first meeting it became evident that there was a lot to it. It was probably about halfway through the project that it became clear that actually this is really going to be difficult in getting this over the line. And to get them to choose the most bold option. AISFPDC, need I say more? <laughs> and this might be overkill, but what was the best thing about David? Well, he stopped bringing the Arsenal support to him with him. After a couple of meetings, he got the message that that wasn't acceptable. And DC? Uh, well, I think the engaged CEO is essential to the success of any project. They are the brand keeper of their organisation. So to have such an engaged CEO in David was amazing because he... He, he, he says not, the same thing to all the CEOs. But he, you know? yeah, not only, you know, he we were working on a daily, weekly basis, but then he had to represent what we were doing to the board what we were doing was you know reflecting through david so he had to fight on our behalf and having an engaged ceo is, is absolutely crucial well thank you gents until the next podcast check out davidcarrollandco.com and leave us a nice review if you like the podcast so other people can find us talk to you soon